Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. All right, the scripture this week is Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. We are talking about the hospitality industry in the second week of our sermon series here called Work as Worship, this look at if we're spending the majority of our time awake in some place of business or volunteering or in some organization, um, how can we use all of that time or at least most of that time to influence people towards the kingdom of God and to know the love of Jesus Christ. So a hospitality industry, most of the time, Um, we would think of jobs like what? Waiter, hotel, industry. Let me just ask, I know some of you may have grown up waiting tables or perhaps still are, but how many of you are working currently at a restaurant or hotel or something you would label the hospitality industry? We've got one, right? So this is not a huge segment of our church population, the hospitality industry as we normally think about it. So I want to talk about the hospitality industry from the least hospitable environment that you could probably ever imagine, a Fortune 500 company. Um, So let me know if you know um, what logo this is. Shout it out. Apple, right? Everybody in the entire universe knows what Apple's logo is. How many of you have ever seen somebody's car with this sticker on the back? Or laptop or guitar case or whatever. Some people may have seen something like this. Um, from the devotees of the Apple empire that is. And so how did Apple um, somehow become less of a brand and as much of a discipleship formation, if you will? I mean, there are people that will never buy an IBM ThinkPad, and no matter how much more powerful it might be or no matter how much more beneficial it might be toward their business. Um, and, And I wonder why. And I think the answer goes back to 2001. Um, In 2001, Apple decides to launch retail stores specifically for their products. And I found an article from the Wall Street Journal that talked about what a mistake this was. If you want to talk about put your foot in your mouth journalism from the past. Uh, It would go on to be the the biggest retail venture, the most successful retail venture uh, ever at the time. And um, let me ask, where would you go? So say you're going to buy a non-Apple computer, IBM ThinkPad 2001. Where are you going to go to buy something like that? Best Buy, CompUSA, Staples, Micro Center, some of these stores where you walk in and the general environment that you walk into are there are stacks and stacks of products all over, as many products as you can find. And when you walk in those aisles, you become anonymous. You can't see a single person around you. The employees are only there to stock product and to solve problems. So Apple, going into this venture, starting in Virginia, 2001, The iPhone doesn't come out until 2007. 
the iPod doesn't come out till later in 2001. So without any of their trademark products that launched them into the global sphere of dominance, they are starting with like the iMac, right? But really no product that sets them apart from anything that IBM, Windows, or anything are doing. Because, and you don't see Windows, you know, like nobody's driving around in a car with a Windows circle on it, right? They wanted to make something distinctive. So they bring in Ron Johnson. Anybody a Target fan here? Right? Ron Johnson is the VP of retail who made you believe that Target is anything different than Walmart. Because when you walk into Walmart, what are there? There are large rows of products all over the place from, head to, from ground to floor uh, that consume you and make, it, make you anonymous. When you walk into Target, what do you see? You've got clean sight lines along the way. You see other people. It somehow looks a little bit more polished, right? You are part of something bigger than what you, uh, than what you are maybe when you walk into Walmart. And so they bring in Ron Johnson. And Ron is a devout Christian. So he starts from the ground up in designing these Apple stores where he's got free license and says, how do we make the love of Christ visual? And this becomes his tagline as he's thinking about things. How do we make love visual? And so he does the similar things that he does in Target. He goes in and he basically does the antithesis of a retail store. He makes less product. He puts product all the way against the walls and in the back. And, and then there are tables where you can actively try out every product that there is. But the real value in what he does is when you walk in, you are greeted by a smiling person who learns your name. And then they uh, put it in their computer system so that the next person that comes and greets you also calls you by your name. And by the time you get to the genius bar in the back, who, by the way, they look at not repairing a computer but restoring a relationship, they know you by name. And as you're walking and trying out the products, there's absolutely nothing to get in your way from seeing the other people that are there. And so you end up making connections within the Apple store that you don't get to make in CompUSA or wherever IBM or Windows are selling their products. And so the Apple store became this place where you were part of something. And, and then the hospitality goes even farther. I mean, there were tons of people who had stories of their iPhone breaking down or malfunctioning somehow. And, and so they would go into the Apple store and they would just give them one for free because they wanted to help out, right? They, wanted, they were restoring a relationship. They were building relationships with the products so that Apple be, could become this uh, brand that everyone knew and everyone fell in love with, really that you were a part of the Apple culture. You weren't just a transaction. Now, take into this. So Ron Johnson puts his Christian values into the way that the retail store looks and it's wildly successful. But then another VP named John Branson comes, uh, is part of the team. And, and uh, John Branson is in charge of operations for Apple and how the employees operate um, within the sphere of the Apple store. So he comes up with 11 JB's rules for success. And I just want to point out a few of these and see if you can't find the biblical values because there are 11 biblically centered principles that Apple employees must follow as they are selling products, building relationships, solving problems. Number one, let go of the old, make the most of the future, forgiveness. Three, the highest level of integrity is expected when in doubt, ask. Let your yes be yes and your no be no from James or Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. Five, everyone sweeps the floor. We serve the risen Christ who had all the power of God in the universe and hung on a cross for us. Everybody does the dirty work. Everybody sweeps the floor. Create win-win relationships with our partners. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
look out for each other. Sharing information is a good thing. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, they ate together with glad tidings. They gave to those who were in need. They sold fields for the church. They were a community that created win-win, looking out for each other, sharing the information. This is the weird thing. And look, I know I'm up here giving a commercial for Apple, and yes, I have an iPhone, and yes, I have a MacBook Pro, right? I'm giving a commercial for Apple, but it's not just about giving a commercial for Apple. It's about looking at how biblically-centered values actually lead to better success because, well, there's a principle in sales that it's not just about pushing product, but it's about developing relationships. How you feel about someone, how you make someone feel, determines their existing relationship with you. You could sell the cure to cancer for somebody, to some, you could sell the cure for cancer to somebody, but if you make them feel like dirt the entire time, they're not going to come back to you to re-up their negotiated product. And so what we see within the culture of a Fortune 500 company, the most financially successful, largest behemoth of a company that has ever existed, are the biblical values of hospitality at the very core of who they are that has led them to be successful because they started off with, we are going to see people instead of product. We are going to see personalities instead of transactions. And I would argue that the same principles that made them successful are the same core principles that the church holds, that we as Christians ought to uphold in the world. I could argue from a biblical standpoint, and I will, that hospitality is the most essential, the most important thing that we do as followers of Jesus to set the standard for what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. The scripture verse from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 2, that be careful to, or watch out, support people, strangers, because some in the past have been entertaining angels. And this comes from stories that are part of the Hebrew identity. Hebrews is a book that needs a reminder of the core principles of what they're supposed to be about. I would argue that the church in the 21st century needs a reminder of the core values of what we're supposed to be about. Right? It is a community struggling to find its identity. It's, uh, it is grounding who Jesus is as our Messiah in the values of Israelite culture. And as we get to Hebrews 13, they reference these stories loosely from uh, Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19. And if you look at Genesis chapter 18, the, large, the, the main point of that story is that Abraham and Sarah are promised that they're going to have a baby to um, continue this lineage that Israel will be a great nation. And that's the main point of the story. But to get to that part... There are these three mysterious guys who show up at the base of Abraham's tent. And Abraham's just chilling in the sun on a hot day in his tent. And let me know how you react. First of all, if anybody rings your doorbell these days, do you get excited or do you get nervous? All right, you've all got, we've got ring doorbells. And the first thing you do is you check who's out there. If you know them and you like them, you go to the door. If you know them and you don't like them, you hide. Right? If you know them, if your doorbell rings at all, in general, you assume it's a salesperson. Right? We don't have the same culture of just somebody showing up on our doorstep anymore. So when we see three guys showed up to my doorstep, we have this enactment of fear. How do they get past the gated guard at the front? This is not the reaction that Abraham has. Three guys show up. Now what we learn is that it's God. We learn that God has come to Abraham's tent to deliver on the promise that Sarah is going to have a son um, even in old age. But the thing about the story, if you look at the words that are used for God, um, in your English translations, if you're reading Genesis 18 or multiple other places in the Old Testament, and you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in all capitals, it is a transliteration of the word, uh, translation, interpretation, transliteration of the word Yahweh. 
And Yahweh literally is, I am that I am. It's what God tells Moses that God's name is in the burning bush. It means you don't know who I am. You are, I'm undefinable, essentially. But it becomes this very intimate, personal name for God, Yahweh. And they stop using it after the Babylonian exile. For one, it's less of a tribal religion and more of an, a universal understanding. The Israelites before the exile were kind of a tribal religion. After the exile, they realize that God is actually this universal. There's only one God in the universe. So they stop using Yahweh, but it also becomes this sacred name that you're not allowed to use because it's too holy for you to utter. So that's what Abraham uses when Abraham realizes that it's God who's visited him. When he doesn't recognize that it's God, before he just thinks it's three guys, he uses the word Adonai. And Adonai comes to be used for God after the exile, but before the exile, it literally means my Lord, my master. It's kind of like a, a word you would use for your boss. If your boss comes to the office, you would say, Adonai, what do you need from me today? So what Abraham is doing is before he even recognizes that this is God who will bless him, he is already bending over backwards for somebody that he is saying, this is my master. This is somebody that I want to serve. Lot does the same thing in Genesis chapter 19. Two angels come to Sodom, visit him, and he says, Adonai, come stay with me, right? Lays out the red carpet, and he doesn't know these people. And Abraham goes to Sarah and says, go prepare the choice flour bread. Get the best cakes ready. He slaughters the calf so that they might have this delicious, sumptuous meal. And this is before he knows that this is somebody who can bless him. This is before this is a profitable transaction. This is simply when Abraham and Lot see people that matter. And this is a core value to Israelite society, that you ought to take care of anybody that crosses your path. That all people are God's blessed children. And they deserve your best treatment, your hospitality. Jesus gets into this later when he gives... Um, some stories in Luke chapter 14. We read from the end of Luke chapter 14 last week, but uh, from the beginning, Jesus tells people, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And then only if you're invited, move up to the head of the table. A little bit after that, it says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And we see in Philippians 2 what they consider the mind of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Biblically speaking, hospitality is the essential core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be part of the covenant of God is to look outside of our own selfish, protective values of who we believe is important in our world, or at least that we are the most important thing, and to see the other person as valuable, not as a product, not as a transaction, not as a ways to an ends to a means, but to look at somebody and say, that is a person whom God loves. And I don't care if I'm trying to sell them shoes or I'm trying to sell them a computer or whatever. The core principle is to see what they need and how can I help. Apple got it right. They didn't always get everything right. They don't get everything right today. But they got it right at the beginning with their stores. To place the value on what it means to be a person over a profit. A person over a transaction. 
And there's a reason why we don't see Microsoft symbols all over the windows of cars. And there's a reason why people are loyal. It's because people will always remember how you made them feel when they're looking to decide how to, if they're going to continue a relationship with you. Whether it's a church, right? We tell our greeters, or we've told them in the past, when people walk into these doors, they ought to feel like they are walking into the kingdom of God. That they are so welcomed and so beloved that they find the most nurturing, excited people that they are here. But that can't stop. For, that, that can't exist just in one hour of one week and one interaction. It has to flow out of this place. It has to flow into what we do with most of our time. Whether you're a student right now or a teacher or whether you're in a Fortune 500 business or you own your own company. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent or a volunteer. You have to take these values out. And you know what? If somebody never hears of the name of Jesus Christ, at least they've experienced the kingdom of God. And would the world be so bad? Would the world be so bad if all of our companies and all of our interactions were, maybe they don't have the name of Jesus attached to them, but they've got the spirit of Christ underlying what we do. Now I could stop here and wrap it up, but um, I realized the other day as I was listening to this NPR podcast on the history of tipping, that the economy goes both ways. Um, when we talk about work as worship, and I know we focus on what the employer has to do, what the provider has to do, the producer needs to win the customer's business and service because the customer is always... Right, what if the customer's a jerk? What if the customer's wrong? I went to dinner one time in high school. Um, we, love, uh, we, we love these moments where we get to go and someone else gets to serve us. The spa, restaurant, hotel, whatever it is, right? We go to the true hospitality industry and for 30 minutes to an hour, maybe it's a nice dinner, it's an hour and a half, two hours, right? We love this experience that somebody else is going to go fill my drink for me. I do it all week long for my kids. Somebody else is going to fill my drink for me. Somebody else is going to do things for me. I love this experience. And there's something about us in the customer is always right mentality that tells us internally as part of our culture, it is okay to treat that person like a subordinate for that moment. If nothing else, it is okay to treat that subordinate. So I went out, went out to dinner with a friend of mine um, in, in high school. And uh, she warned us about this when we all went out. But says her uncle has this weird thing that he does. And sure enough, her uncle, this 60-year-old man, gets to the table at Chili's, because Chili's was the best restaurant in Allen when I was in high school. And we're um, sitting at the table, and he lays out $31 bills on the table. And he tells the waitress, who was a friend of mine in high school, or at least a classmate of mine in high school, not necessarily a friend, um, says, this is your tip. I know it's a big party. This is your tip. And for every mistake you make, or every time I don't feel like I'm getting good service, I'm going to take a dollar away. Sure enough, she comes back. She gives me a Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper's like poison to me. I ordered a Coke. So we have to trade the Dr. Pepper and the Coke around. And he makes a very grand gesture of taking $2 bills, holds them up, and puts them in his pocket. And you've been under pressure before. You know that when you get under pressure, you're not doing your best work or thinking clearly. So she sees this action and it just leads to one after another. And sure enough, by the end of the dinner, her tip is down like five bucks. Who gives us the right... Who gives us the right to hold that over somebody else? If we carry the name of Christian, we carry the name of little Christ, we are people who are devout followers of Jesus, whose example to us is, I'm going to go on a cross to forgive for something that you can't do yourself. That we say that there is no master to us other than Jesus. In fact, by claiming the name of Christian, we say that we cannot be somebody's master because there is only one master. There's a scripture that says you can only serve God or you can only serve money. Which one are you going to serve? 
Who are we to hold that over some 16-year-old girl's head? Who are we to hold it over the hotel host? I'm not saying don't go to customer service if you're getting bad service. I'm not saying go, go return the product if it's broken. But who are we to treat people to make them cry in the back of the restaurant? Who are we to make somebody's day worse and terrible? Are we really that important? Maybe I should ask the question is, are we that much more important to them in the sight of God? The economy goes two ways. Yes, good service, producer, hospitality, all part of what builds the kingdom of God that we have a part of in terms of being the producer, but all of us are consumers as well. And all of us have a responsibility to show the same hospitality to the strangers who are serving us as we do when we are called to serve. That's what it means to change the world. That's what it means to take responsibility, is when you have every privilege in the world, every opportunity in the world to be in power, what does Jesus do? Jesus hangs on a cross and says, forgive them, and loves them. Hospitality is not simply giving what you have. Hospitality is loving whoever's in front of you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that we would not see transactions, but we would see people. We would not simply see profit, but we would see personalities. We would not simply see a growth plan or a five-year model, but we would see the love and the kingdom at the end of it. God, may your kingdom values pervade into everything that we do. Humble us when we need humbling and lift us up when we need lifting up. May we be for each other that welcoming presence of God that says you are welcome, you are loved as we go about our work. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.